we've been talking about how it can be messy to be a Jesus community. And the, the phrase we've been saying every week is the way of Jesus is messy, but... Oh, let's try that again. The way of Jesus is messy, but... Worth it. Amen. That as we journey together as the people of God, if we really follow the way of Jesus, it is straight messy. But it is so worth it to be a part of bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And so we push through the messy and we aim at being like King Jesus. And so let's do a quick review of where we've been on this journey. Week one, we talked about the Beatitudes, and we talked about how Jesus was really introducing kingdom theology. And what that felt like to the people of that day was that he was taking everything that they knew and turning it upside down. So it was the way of God's upside-down kingdom. And then week two... We talked about being a blessing, that we should maybe spend less time thinking about being blessed ourselves and shift our focus to being a blessing. We remembered that the kingdom of God is here now. It's not something we wait for, but it's here now through the people of God faithfully following the way of Jesus. And so together, week after week, we as the people of God lean into the formation of the church. We lean into the formation of the messy way of Jesus that we might be a part of bringing the kingdom of God to earth in the here and now. Then week three, we all breathe the sigh of relief because we realize that Jesus just called ordinary people. If that's you, raise your hand. Oh, some of y'all are special. <laughs> just kidding. Jesus called ordinary people to live ordinary lives transformed and empowered by an extraordinary God. And we started coming face to face with Jesus' deep concern for the condition of our hearts. And we recognize that internal transformation is greater than any external expectation we might feel. Week four, we were reminded that anger is not a fruit of the Spirit. How many of y'all been practicing? Right? All that driving, giving us lots of time to practice this. We remember that the way we speak about people matters deeply. And that God's call is to love our enemies, the everyday ones, and the faraway ones. And if we are truly to follow the way of King Jesus in love for enemy, it is a complete and total heart shift that informs our actions. And then last week, are you still with me? Last week, we talked about how guardrails in life are really good, but heart transformation is better. That it's great to live by these guardrails, these rules of living, but it's even better to be so transformed in our hearts that we no longer need the guardrails. And so we asked ourselves, am I just avoiding a wreck, or am I truly following the way of Jesus? So I'm going to kick off this uh, message again. 
with the world's best sermon illustration of all time, my grace umbrella. Because again, the Sermon on the Mount is full of hard teachings, church. Because the way of Jesus is messy, and the way of Jesus is difficult when you're a human. I'm human! But I am filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the good things of the kingdom of God, just like you are. And so I want to remind us that as we hear another hard word from Jesus' teaching, that we all journey under God's umbrella of grace. Are you thankful? And that God's grace is what allows us to trip and fall and get back up again and keep going. And we're thankful for the gift of God's grace. So as we journey through the Sermon on the Mount together, we do so covered by God's grace. So let's dive into the verses for this week. We're going to be reading Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. So if you're willing and able, would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word today? And it was tough discerning what to focus on from this chunk of scripture. So we're going to do our very best to hear the heart of God in the midst of it all. Hear the word of our Lord, church. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything 
will reward you. The word of our Lord. You can be seated. Woo! Let me start out by saying next week we are going to focus on the Lord's Prayer. So this week we're kind of covering everything around the Lord's Prayer. Again, Jesus is saying some direct things here. But let's point out what we did a few weeks ago. There's a bit of a conundrum in the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said this, In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. But then, today, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly. Well, come on, Jesus. Which one is it? And if you remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about this simple framework that really Jesus is concerned about our heart. And so when we're doing a deed for the kingdom of God, we ask ourselves, what is my intent? And does this benefit others? If it's not for others' benefits, it's just my personal piety, my personal journey with Jesus, it's probably cool and better for it to be kept private. But if the intent is for God's glory and it benefits others, we have no shame in doing so publicly so that others might see and glorify God with us. So as we kind of get past that conundrum, I want us to note something so this text, Jesus frames it this way. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. And he's giving some important instructions. But the first thing that I think is, is valuable for us to note before we even look at those instructions is this. We should give. We should pray. And we should fast. Some people in response to this teaching go to the extreme and are just like, well then, if it's too dangerous, we might fall into self-seeking. Let's just not do these things. I don't think that's what Jesus was intending. Jesus' teaching on giving, praying, and fasting implies that these things are happening and should be happening among the people of God. That's why he's doing a teaching on them. So this isn't a sermon on what Christian giving looks like, what it looks like to pray specifically, or, or what it looks like to fast as the people of God. If I addressed all those things with you today, we would be lingering a lot longer. So those will be coming. <laughs> In our journey with Jesus, we'll learn more about those. But today we're taking an overarching view. So what is Jesus getting at when he's talking about these things that we must do, but he's corrective? This one phrase is going to frame our entire conversation with God's word today, and it's this. Motive matters. Motive matters. Say that out loud with me. Motive matters. So when we think about our hearts and Jesus being deeply concerned, his point is that the motives of our heart deeply matters. Look at this picture, this doodle from the book we've been reading along, What If Jesus Was Serious? 
This is a joke about another verse well, Jesus, where Jesus said, the people will know you're by, my disciples by your bumper stickers. Side note, do not have said bumper stickers on your car and then drive with road rage. Can I get an amen? No, people will know that you're my disciples by your love. By your love. And so our motive, our heart motive, must always be deeply rooted in the desire to follow the way of Jesus. And what Jesus is recognizing here is in humans, he saw it in the people he walked with then, there is this pull to get some glory for ourselves. And Jesus is warning against this. So let's go back to verses 1 through 4 quickly. We're going to read this again. And we're going to unpack verses 1 through 4, which is talking about doing our public deeds, but it applies to giving, praying, and fasting like we're going to talk about. The word says this, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. So this section is talking about giving, but as we talk about it, I want you to think about prayer and fasting as well. Really anything we might do for the sake of God's glory. And so this is in your notes if you're following along on the Bible app. The first question we have to ask ourselves is, who gets the glory? Motive matters. And so as we're walking in our journey with Jesus and we're making decisions on how to function in public life, we have to ask ourselves, who gets the glory? Human tends to be glory thieves. Humans, us, you know? We tend to be glory thieves. Maybe on the outside we make it about God, but on the inside, we're craving some of the glory of our own. Well, let's look at some key terms in that, in those, that section, because I think it will help us understand a little bit better. In verse 1, it says, don't do your good deeds publicly. I wonder what that means, right? If you, if you look at the original language that's written in, it's a similar word to how we would say your righteousness or when you do what is right, or what is just. The New Living Translation, which we read, says don't do your good deeds publicly. The NIV uses a really interesting combination of words. It says don't practice your righteousness. Let's look at verse 1 in the Message Translation. I think it's helpful as we try to understand the heart of God a little bit better. The message paraphrase says it this way. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. That's pretty clear. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. 
Eugene Peterson just dropping it like it's hot. It says, be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. Motive, right? What is your heart's intent? Is your motive that God through your action might get glory? Or is your motive that people might notice Jenny? And the reality is, friends, we ride that line day in and day out of checking our heart's intent constantly. If we look at verse 2, it says, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. This phrase, someone in need, is so interesting. In the original language, it basically means, listen to this, when you make a path for someone. So, What we read is when you help someone in need, the imagery of the original language is making a path where there wasn't a path. So when someone in life is having a challenge and you help them, you're making a life path for them, right? I love that imagery. And don't you know we are called to make pathways for people, for their flourishing And then verse 2, a key word, hypocrites. It says, like the hypocrites do. What's that mean? I'm not a hypocrite. Well, the Greek is a little bit more uh, poignant. The uh, definition is a little bit broader. In the Greek, another way of defining it, you might understand it as pretender or an insincere person. Y'all, I've been insincere before. Yeah. Have you ever had a pastor admit that on stage? And then another word is as attention. And in, in the Greek, it's mean when you're looking for honor or praise. And I looked into all those words with us because I think it's important for us to have a bigger understanding of what Jesus is saying. And I think it can be summarized this way. Jesus says that pretenders do acts of mercy and kindness in a public way to boost their status and be praised. So pretenders, insincere people, people who are not following the way of Jesus, do it to be noticed. And so the reminder for us is to check our heart motive. When we give, when we make a way for people who need a way to be made, that must be done. Jesus desires that our hearts be purely set on following him in his generosity, not for any human gain or glory. And so we might ask it this way, am I a glory thief? Say that question out loud with me. Am I a glory thief? Perhaps that's a good way to put it. When we're engaging in an opportunity to help others and we're tempted to have the wrong heart motive. But there's a really important warning here. In pastoral ministry, I have encountered people, maybe you have too, who just literally cannot take a compliment. Like when you try to like acknowledge something good that they've done they like recoil and they're like uncomfortable listen i think there's an important warning here when we receive praise from someone there is no guilt in that if someone notices and celebrates that god is at work through you 
we can receive that and give glory to God without shame. We don't have to recoil. We can say thank you because God is at work in my life. So if people compliment you, receive it. But just make sure your heart stays in a posture that is prioritizing God's glory over your own. Amen? So motive matters. Who gets the glory? That's the first question we're asking ourselves. Now we're going to go on and look a little bit deeper at verses 5 through 15. And as a reminder, this holds this, the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to study that deeper next week. But let's look at God's Word again. Jesus says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites do, who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. Jumping down to verse 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others... Your father will not forgive your sins. Boy, howdy. That is blunt, right? So let's look quickly at what we can learn about prayer from Jesus' teaching here. Two quick little mini lessons on prayer. The first is this. It's all about this concept of our need for glory. Jesus is not prohibiting public prayer here. Jesus himself prayed publicly in the temple. That was a regular practice. It happened. So it's not prohibiting public prayer. Some people walk away from this being like, we should never pray in public. That's a misunderstanding. Jesus takes us back yet again to a point that we talked about last week. I think the key here is manipulation. So the next question we have to ask ourselves is, motive matters. Is there a desire in my heart to manipulate. Now that's a strong word, so let's unpack it. Is there a desire in my heart with my prayers to manipulate a situation or manipulate someone to manipulate God? What do we mean by that? So in verse 7, it's kind of funny. Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. This is important because, y'all, I am a long prayer. Any long prayers out there? Can I get an amen? None of you want to admit it. All right. Just me. And so Jesus is not like, stop talking to me. There's an important distinction. In a commentary that I read, it talked about how in that society, religions would use repetition and they thought that what they were doing was pestering the gods, lowercase g, so that they would grant them their request. And so their repetition was like, hey God, hey God, hey God, hey God, hey God, hey God, like a kid until mom caves and gives them the sucker. That was their concept of what religious prayer was like from the pagan cultures. And so Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. 
That's not how my father works. You don't have to babble on and on. I heard you. I hear you. We speak, he hears, and in fact, he knows our hearts. And so we can resist this temptation because really, at the core of it, what were those people in the culture doing with the gods? Trying to manipulate. Trying to say just the right thing, just enough time so that the gods would finally relent and give them what they want. And so Jesus says, you don't, you don't have to do that. Like, I hear you. So to my long prayers out there who like to talk a lot to God, take heart. Hear this. God loves relationship with you. And so God loves when you talk to him. So we don't have to be fearful of doing a lot of talking. But I think the word that Jesus wants us to hear is that God doesn't need our long, lengthy prayers to give us what we need. He hears us the first time. But he also loves communion with us. So keep praying those long prayers. But there's a discerning question here. When we feel ourselves tempted to ramble on and on, maybe, perhaps, I think the question we have to ask is this. When I pray, am I trying to speak magic words to get what I want? Or am I coming to my Father God to lay bare my heart? I corrected that. That is the wrong use of bare. I must have sent the wrong PowerPoint. Who cares? Bear. Arr. Okay? <laughs> Jeez. When I pray, am I trying to speak magic words to get what I want, or am I coming to the Father, to my Father God, to open my heart wholly to God? I think that's the distinction. If I can be transparent with you again, I noticed in my journey with Jesus something about prayer that was harming me. And now that is a bold statement. But let me tell you what I mean. I noticed that I was falling into these patterns of anxious praying. And what I mean by that is I, when I was in a season of difficulty, I just kept going back to God over and over and over again like I would my best friend, just saying the situation over and over again. And I did it so much to the point that it was not helping me receive the peace of God. It was actually just stirring up my anxiety fuller. And so I think there's a piece of it that Jesus is like, stop spinning your wheels in it. I heard you. I hear you. Walk with me. And so I think there's a sense here that our, our very own prayers, when we feel the need to just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, sometimes that's good because we're laboring with the Father, but sometimes it's just us stirring our anxiety with a giant spoon. And so we have to be able to discern the difference. And so church motive matters. Am I trying to manipulate God with my prayers? Finishing out this teaching that Jesus had, we're going to look at verses 16, and eight, 16 through 18. Jesus says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable. I love this. 
cracks me up. They try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. And Jesus is so practical. He says, but when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. And so the last question in this concept of our motive mattering is this, who am I trying to impress? Who am I trying to impress? When I'm on my journey with Jesus and I'm compelled to righteous acts, which we should be, my heart motive that I constantly have to check is who am I trying to impress? Now this is applicable to the entire passage that we've been reading. When we fast, is our intent to follow the way of Jesus or is it to be perceived as superior spiritually? And I think that's the problem that was happening in that society was the religious people were fasting and wailing in the streets and looking disheveled. And Jesus is like, this in no means brings glory to anybody other than you, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, who am I trying to impress? And the reality is true Jesus people, people who are following the way of Jesus, resist that compulsion to impress. Resist that compulsion to impress. I think it can be summarized this way. We do righteous acts because of who we are and whose we are. That's our motivation. The motivation of our heart. We do the things of God because of who we are and who we belong to. When we pray, when we fast, when we give, all of these things are an expression of our reliance on God and not self-seeking practices. It's important for us to look at a really serious implication. If you're still with me, say, I'm with ya. I should have figured out how to say that in Spanish. I don't know. But I heard that. Thank you, sir. But there's a really serious implication in here. Jesus says a phrase each time that he talks about praying, giving, and fasting that is strong. It's found in verse 2, verse 5, and 16. He says the same thing all three times. He says, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Sit with that for a second, friends. Jesus legit said that. That is all the reward they will ever get. What does that mean, Jesus, right? What, what does that mean? I, I'll take a stab at it. I think Jesus takes heart posture so seriously. seriously. He takes the motive of our heart deeply serious. There's no doubt, church, that we are secure in Christ, but this teaching gives me an indication that wrong motive, an ugly heart, is detrimental. You can have all the right things on the outside, but if your heart is not aligned with King Jesus, that is detrimental. 
Jesus is basically saying, you want glory now? You want status now? Great, but that's not how it is in my kingdom. So enjoy the temporary glory the earth has to offer. That's all it's going to get you. That's sobering. That's humbling. And church, I think that's how serious the condition of our heart is to the one we follow. And so it is, out of pure, transformed hearts comes the witness of Jesus in our lives. Out of pure, transformed hearts comes the witness of Jesus in our lives. And at this point, if you're feeling discouraged in the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, wow, I can do none of this. Me too. Apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and Christ living in me, I would fail at this every day. But the fact that Jesus cares deeply about my heart gives me so much peace. Because sometimes when I'm journeying under that grace umbrella and I miss it, God can see in my heart and recognize, that's not Jenny. Her heart is broken over that decision because her heart looks like my heart. That's not Jenny. That was a human moment, and my grace covers it. But you know, God can also see when, wow, we got some heart issues because that came from deep within her. Her heart still looks like the world. And so yet again, Jesus pulls those of us following him to this place of looking at our hearts. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward and prepare for our time of reflection. And I think these moments are so important. These moments where we pause to process God's word before we take on the rest of the day. May we be reminded together, church, that motive matters. Our hearts matter. And I think Jesus is calling the people of God to Holy Spirit-empowered, pure hearts. I heard uh, sanctification. If you're a Nazarene, you know the phrase sanctification. Basically, that just means looking like Jesus. We'll put it really simply. But I heard somebody explain sanctification, that process of becoming holy, like this. A person who is sanctified, when you cut open their, their chest and rip open their heart, you see an eternal yes to Jesus. That at the core of who we are, every part of us lives for our king. And I think that's what God wants for each of us. And so together we're reminded motive matters. So let's start with the heart. At the core of our being, we must live and breathe and find meaning in our audience of one. Let's be cheesy today. We live and breathe and find meaning in our audience of one. Or the opposite is, we live and breathe and find meaning in, fill in the blank, the praise of others, 
status, power, being right. I don't know what it is for you. But we have to ask ourselves, what do our actions, our choices, what does our heart posture tell us about what really motivates us? And Jesus calls us back and says, let me deal with your heart so that what really motivates you is the kingdom of God. Amen, church?